We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Two pitch, ball line to Yount, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air, Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history! Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center! He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well. And it's gone. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. And me, Adam McGee. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast. Adam, uh, you're now, let's see, seven Milwaukee Brewers baseball games in on your Milwaukee Brewers fandom career. And to start 2022, it was a lot like, here's the new Brewers, a lot like the old Brewers. Uh, how was your first... Uh, rivalry series against uh the chicago cubs i mean this is uh like the first series that wasn't the intense high stakes nature of playoff baseball yet a few of the games kind of felt like that i was very glad andrew that the sunday game played out the way the sunday game played out or uh it would be a rough rough start to this season um a wood rough start even if i may and this would not have been as enjoyable as of a podcast, but it was it delivered kind of what I expected. Obviously, I am no stranger to the the feeling between um, Milwaukee and Chicago and the sports fans of that city. Now, of course, we are only a few days away from the Milwaukee Bucks getting their their NBA title defense underway against the Chicago Bulls. So more Chicago Milwaukee chippiness on the way. Uh, but we certainly got some of that, and we'll probably we'll probably get into some of the 
the ongoing, uh, I don't want to go controversy, but kerfuffle between these two teams um, and some of the more interesting takes on that. Um, but I mean, overall, there's some rust here. It's opening, like we've moved past opening day, but you know, Saturday is opening day for Woodruff. Sunday is opening day for Peralta. When a lot of guys are either getting their kind of their first outings or you're still getting your first kind of your feet under you in terms of at-bats, I guess it's not unusual for this level of variance. The one thing I know coming in is this is a long, long season. I've been a little surprised by some reactions I have seen given how long the season is. Um, I was very much in a mode of like, I, I don't know how bad it would have been for me to have a strong, strong feeling. But let's be clear, the second game of the series, Saturday's game, was was really, really bad. And let's hope that is the worst we see of the Brewers this season. But yeah, to start the year, it is in line with what the what the playoffs brought last year. Um, some positives peaking true, though, certainly as, as we've moved through those run of games. And hopefully uh, the Orioles series brings a little bit more positivity and then going beyond that too, when we're getting into Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, then back around for more starts that we start seeing them settle into their groove. And it looks much more like their, their production and performance levels from last season. Yeah, this is uh, for lack of a better phrase, I can say like this series just represents what baseball is. It takes a while for things to normalize and for the, the teams that are, truly the more talented teams to uh, really separate themselves in the standings. I mean, there's um, a Twitter account called you can't predict baseball. And the funny thing is with all the projection systems over 162 games, a lot of the times you can, but over three games, it's a little tough and it's people are going to get sick of me saying small sample size when discussing any kind of statistical trends to start the season, but it really is true. I mean, so we talked about um, opening day where the Cubs lost a or the Brewers, sorry, the uh, lost a five four tight game to the Cubs. Corbin Burns struggled with command early, uh, but it eventually righted the ship. But a, a few mistakes ended up being their undoing. Uh, Friday ended up being rained out um, because, you know, Major League Baseball just decided to schedule uh, April games in a ballpark without a roof and sometimes it it gets a little cold and it gets a little rainy in in the midwest in april uh adam you know maybe one day we'll we'll be you know sharing a seat at wrigley field to watch the brewers play in april but today is not that day and we're glad we weren't there because it was a little cold on that that, that, give me the give me the quick lowdown so how much more of this am i to expect for example going to baltimore now is there a roof roof in baltimore there's not um lovely ballpark um kind of the the uh one of the hallmarks of kind of the modern era of ballpark design where everything wasn't a cookie cutter so lovely place to watch a baseball game but no roof so potentially there could be some weather we'll get into what it looks like when we uh do the the preview ahead because you know i I, i'm always keeping my ear to the ground and i think it's your favorite thing to to bring weather dreads Listen, I was just trying to keep us prepared. Like I, I describe myself as a uh, sports chicken little, so which is something that you're well versed in in terms of my uh, pessimism. So when I was 
saying doom and gloom about the weather, you were like, this is just Andrew being Andrew. So that kind of got well, the it split the difference because you you spent even before we recorded, you were like, uh, I don't don't know if we're gonna get to see any play Thursday and Friday. And you know, ultimately we got one of those games. So I was like, oh, I'll be fine, and it split the difference between us. Exactly. Uh so Friday was rained out. Uh they're gonna make that up as part of a, a double header, I think on May 30th, if uh if I remember that correctly. Um, but with the rainout, uh, game two was pushed to Saturday. Uh, both the Cubs and the Brewers kept their, their pitching what it would have been on Friday, Brandon Woodruff versus Justin Steele. And uh, it was not Brandon Woodruff's sharpest outing. This game two was kind of a burn the game tape and move on situation where I'm not sure you can even take away any like lessons and learnings from that game. When you lose a game nine, nothing, it's kind of best to move on and, and play for the next day. Woodruff threw uh, three, three and two thirds innings, six hits, seven runs, all earned three walks, two strikeouts. Um, Not, not his best outing. Uh, Just like with, with Corbin Burns in game one, he, he really struggled with command and he's a guy who, didn't really do that last season. He only walked 2.1 batters per nine innings pitch last season, which I think was around 17th in the league. So he's he's not a guy that's gonna um, walk a lot of batters. And as as, as you noted to me, it, it it's his uh, career high in terms of runs earned, uh, seven runs. And you know, once you get yourself in kind of that seven nothing hole in the the fourth inning of a baseball game, that. That's uh, really tough to come back from. From an offensive perspective, this was a situation where facing the left-handed pitcher, Craig Council did what we said he might do often. This is a lineup built to mix and match, and uh, they they started from a hole early on against the left-hander. Keston Cura got the start at first base over Rowdy Telez. Tyrone Taylor came in at center field to, to give Lorenzo Kane a day. Uh, Mike Brasso started at third base and Victor Caratini, the switch hitting catcher who they just acquired from San Diego, got the start at catcher. And as much as uh, I kind of worry long-term about uh, doing too much changing and chopping to the lineup, I feel like this particular lineup did not necessarily get the look that is fair to their like talent level and what this lineup can be against left-handed left-handers moving forward just because of the weirdness of the game and the hole they found themselves early. Did you have any thoughts about uh, Woodruff's performance and, and the lineup? I will say uh, before I rudely asked you a question and then I'm cutting in, I think this is going to be the worst performance Woodruff has all year. So it's all like uphill from here. I think this was an anomalous performance and uh, moving forward, uh, I think it'll be fine, honestly. But what did you do? You have any thoughts about the lineup or Woodruff's performance? Um, I mean, Woodruff's performance is just it's much like we saw with Corbin Burns, except we we did note that Burns did a really good job of, in spite of how bad he started that game, the runs did not clock up right from the beginning, and that was not the case here. They were made to pay for Woodruff not having control early on, and that digs a very deep hole. Um. Urania came in and was really pretty bad. Like, did not did not make the situation any better. I I understand Waters pitch count going up that high. Him struggling as he, as much as he is, you're going to make a change early, and then you're not exactly what you planned for. So it's then a question of okay, well, who do we bring in at this point of the game? And you're trying to map out obviously um, your bullpen to kind of carry you the rest of the way and hope that if you find something 
you have guys that can be competitive. I wasn't sure on the Arena decision, and it did not work out well. I thought Gustave was pretty good when he came in, but he was there with the mess already established by Urania, so he ended up um, really taking the hit on runs for that. Um, Trevor Gott was was actually pretty good when he came in, nice and tidy, which, based on how the rest of the game looked, was a refreshing change. As as for the, the hitting and for, for the lineup overall, I think when you look through that, it's just... Yeah, it was a bad day all around, and this Brewers offense is not exactly like rocket fueled. And if you find yourself in what was it, seven oh hole by the end of the fourth inning, that's tough. That's and that's gonna have a knock on effect on your batters. And I mean, you're down trio in the first inning. It's that's really, really a difficult spot. And I don't think that helps anyone mentally. I don't think that puts you in the best position to have a good performance. Because when you, when we look at the other guys who came in, I think your point is valid in just because you can switch it up very readily. It doesn't mean that you, you overdo that this season. Having options is great, but also knowing when to stick with guys. And maybe this is, this is a non-baseball me, because I know you're going to come back and fight me about numbers. But if some of your lefties are hitting it well, as opposed to righties that are maybe not or not finding something yet as the season goes on, like that's where I'd be inclined to, you know, oh, well, we're not just going to hook Rowdy Tellers here because it's a left-handed pitcher. You know, I think there has to be some room for maneuver there and managing the guys as it goes. I'm sure we'll see that. But when we think of the guys who played in this game who didn't play out of the opener since, like Kesson Hero, we both, we're very excited by what he showed in spring training. And I think we hope to see quite a lot of them this season, see if he can carry that over and have a, a real bounce back year uh, Tyrone Taylor, I, I think is someone who generally just seems to be a core part of what this team is going to be. We talked about, he, he will be someone who even just in terms of finding spots for Lorenzo Kane to rest is going to see a lot of time and he could certainly hit too. Um, Mike Brasso getting to start on this occasion. We saw him, We'll, we'll touch on it, but get a homer in the next game. So no major issues there. And Caratini, I was a little surprised considering how early Omar Narvaez was hooked in this, the opening day game. But again, that I guess could be tied to lefties and trying to really load up on right-handers. I I don't know. Uh, there, I'm obviously, what's the new system called? Pitch? Um, Calm. I don't know if you've got any wider takes on this because I know obviously there has been some discussion about it. Um, like, does that help or hinder Caratini? I believe he said he'd only used it for one game in spring training before the trade. So all of a sudden he's come in and he's gone through two games where he's using that instead of signals. Maybe that helps somewhat because there's a lack of familiarity with the guys he's coming into too. But yeah, there's just there's an interesting dynamic there that's worth watching, and also just the Brewers, from what I've heard, have maybe leaned close to all in on pitch in a way that not necessarily every other team has right from the jump this season. And I suppose that's something to track. Well, are they going to be happy with that? Are they just going to stick with that? Or if pitching isn't up to scratch over the first 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 games, do we all of a sudden see them move away from that and go back to something much more traditional with hand signals? 
Yeah, uh, that was interesting. The one thing that I don't like about having Narvaez out of the lineup, even for kind of a like if it were a situation where you have a backup catcher who's a right-handed hitter that absolutely just destroys left-handed pitching, I get it. But Narvaez is such a valuable part of the lineup with his pitch framing. He was the best pitch framer in baseball um, last year. He also, he he like he obviously it's his job to read the game as well as he does, but he is exceptional at it. Like he got a great out uh, in the third game in the win as well, just from being really heads up and being so on top of like, I am not an expert on catchers yet, uh, but it is clear from what I watched in the playoffs too, that he is just super, super sharp. Yeah. He's a, a good catch and throw guy, a great pitch framer. And I feel like just his presence like in the game is, is much more valuable on the defensive end. Um, Caratini's solid, but he's not in our bias behind the plate. And it just, it just felt like now I, I understand especially early in the season being like, all right, let's get a lot of guys into the lineup. Let's get uh, Hira in particular plate appearances so that he can work his way into the season. Um, so, you know, we'll see if that continues. I think it will because this lineup is, or this roster has been built in a very specific way to give them flexibility. But like you said, in some areas, it's like, is the reward worth uh, taking some guys out of the lineup? Like with Rowdy Tellez, if he were just absolutely terrible against left-handed pitching i would get it but his career ops against lefties is 755 his career ops period is 774 he's not bad against left-handed pitching and he provides a power presence in the lineup that they don't have in other areas so i I would tend to you know give it a little more time and let rowdy prove that he can hit left-handed pitching before you start uh thinking about these drastic kind of platoon split situations. Um, Like uh, I don't mind trusting the numbers and doing what gives you the greater statistical advantage in theory on a game to game basis. But when it's like not there and not like a glaring thing, like in the situation with Rowdy, I I don't know that you just remove that key cog from your lineup. Um, Do you, do you think on that? Like I think, cause I think there's a knock on effect which might be tied to coach being designated hitter because that might be a spot where they'd like to, to get Keston in the lineup occasionally early in the season. And then obviously if you want to have him there, like we talked this, the preview at this point in his career, is it just best that that's what coach is and you're not asking him to do anything defensively or could we see some movement around that where maybe he's in a game, but Kessner is there, but you still have Rowdy at first base. Uh, I could see a situation like that where Renfro gets the day off, McCutcheon goes into right field, and then uh, here is the DH. Or a situation where Yelich needs a day, McCutcheon goes into left field, um, here is the DH. So uh, that's one of the benefits of the flexibility of this roster. I mean, McCutcheon's not the defender he was when he was uh, a very good center fielder for Pittsburgh, but I think for a game, he can play a corner outfield position and you're you're not really losing anything. And they definitely want to keep his bat in the lineup as much as possible. So I think when there is a situation to give Yelich or Renfro a day off, I think uh, McCutcheon going into the corner outfield spot really makes sense um, because as a DH, without the, uh, the, uh, the frequent miles that are going to get put on his leg, chasing down balls in the gaps, I think he's going to be a guy that, 
can stay in the lineup more just because most days he's just going to be hitting. Um, so using him as kind of another element of that versatility is something that I think council will take advantage of on occasion. I, maybe the over under of games that he plays in the field, something around the 20 to 25 range, just because it's clear that they have signed him to be the DH. But uh, that is another great way. And it's a good point to get here into the lineup with, without, um, without losing Rowdy at first base. Yeah, it's, it's just one of, I think, the challenges they're going to have is working that out if they want to. Now, it remains to be seen. It's one thing in having a great spring training. But I guess over the first few weeks, it'll be one of the more interesting things to track is just how many spots are they trying to find to get Kessin Hurry into the lineup? Like, is it something they really want to look at? Where is their level of confidence internally beyond just, oh, well, he looks like he's, he found something um, over the offseason and in spring training? Anything else from the... Uh the Saturday game that you wanted to touch on um, some positives. McCutcheon did get another base hit. Willie Adamas got another hit. Um, Yelich drew a walk, got a hit. Um, so, you know, s- some positive things to take away in a game that was otherwise just kind of uncompetitive by the end of the fourth inning. Do we want to talk with the benches clearing? Maybe this is the best spot to, to talk about the ongoing Cubs brewers, uh, the nature of their rivalry of presence, which is interesting. I know you having parachuted in have some particular thoughts on some of the some of the Cubs um, reactions and behaviors really true. And this actually goes back to opening day too, when it did come up in our conversation. Was that Contreras as well on opening day who got got hit when it was a tie game? And as you pointed out, it's a tie game. He is not intentionally trying to hit you. Correct. Yes. Uh, touch on that. I want to hear, especially from your perspective, kind of learning about some of the, uh, the, the toxic elements <laughs> of, uh, of baseball. Like, so set the scene, Adam. Well, <laughs> um, this is something that far predates you or I, which is um, something that if you've been on Twitter, certainly if you're, you're kind of following a lot of brewers, beat reporters, or blogs you've been well aware of. You've seen it come across your timelines the last few days, which is since 2020, I believe, um, the Brewers have hit Cubs players 27 times, and the Cubs have hit Brewers players 26 times now, which is not a whole lot of disparity, but the Cubs are particularly taking real umbrage to all of this and it's becoming something that is very much recurring and ongoing now i don't know did you see andrew mccutcheon's uh media availability did you see because i I thought he was really interesting and that was for me getting like the veterans view of it and explaining how that should be done and how it shouldn't be done was very illuminating to me and put it in context absolutely because mccutcheon made it clear he knew he was going to get hit but he's like you miss me the first time, like yeah. have some feel like, and, and that's, it's one of the like crazy, like, are we living in an alternate reality aspects of baseball? Because these guys understand that like, all right, we hit one of your guys. One of our guys is going to get hit. And the idea is like, you hit them in a spot. That's like inoffensive, get them in the back. Don't go near the head. If you're head hunting, that's dangerous. You know, it's an eye for an eye situation and you move on, which is insane. Uh, but on this, right? So coach got caught on the hip, which hip seems hip seems bad. Hip to be seems worse than maybe I'm turning into I'll take a clean on the back. It's like the hip is something where then it could bother you. It could linger a little bit more. 
Absolutely. Uh, so I won't say the name, um, but there's a guy who may not be in the big leagues anymore, um, but he was in the big leagues. He was, I was, as I said, I was a very mediocre high school baseball player. We'll never try and insinuate that I was any more than that. Uh, but I was playing against the guy that would eventually get to the big leagues as a reliever with a few different teams. And he hit me on the hip kind of below the bone though. So it was fine. I had a baseball on my thigh, like an outline of a baseball, the full seams for two weeks, maybe. So I can attest if you do not hit somewhere either with a lot of meat or just like no bone, like if you get muscle, it's going to hurt, but it's not going to cause an injury. It's not going to impact your well-being. But if, if that got McCutcheon like square on the hip bone, that on the hip bone. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. So and and I, I weirdly agree with his kind of statement on the matter. It's like you, you had your chance and you missed it. Like if you if you can't hit hit my body on your first try, the the, the beanball game ain't for you, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, it goes from kind of an eye for an eye to, and not just you're trying to hit him, to you're trying to hurt him was his point, which it's it's a very different thing when it's just multiple attempts where that's what your focus is. Um, I I also thought like obviously he's an older guy and maybe maybe for some reasons why you go for him, he's also not necessarily the guy on this team that I would think. Oh yeah, he's the he's the guy to mess with. Yeah, I, that was interesting because if you're if you're thinking about like okay, we're gonna go hit like your franchise guy, you'd think it would be Yelich or, or something like that. But uh, maybe with Yelich's recent injury history, they were giving him a break. I don't know. I will say a lot of this comes down to Wilson Contreras just like mm-hmm. standing all over the plate in many situations, like putting his arm into the path of ball and trying to get intentionally hit to get on base, you know, getting on base is great, but like, and then he has the audacity to just freak out anytime someone like misses with a pitch and and hits him. Like, like we said, that Jake cousins incident, Jake cousins was not trying to hit you in a tie baseball game with a runner on third base. If that ball goes to the backstop, which two Jake Cousins pitches did go to the backstop on Sunday, which we'll talk about in a minute, then mm-hmm. that run scores. Jake Cousins was not trying to hit you. Uh, like, I... And there's a part he of... just does not have a lot of control to start the season. There, if if they, they may have noticed by now. There is part of me that enjoys this. You know, I've, I've taken some shots at him for... Um, for transitioning into this uh, Brewers fandom. Uh but I am all in and I do care already. Like these games stress me out immensely um, this weekend. And something like this early in my tenure is like giving me a reason to hate the Chicago Cubs. And I love that. And like, they annoy the hell out of me now. Like I have a Cubs fan (laughs) friend um, and I was texting with them. I was like, I was like, I think I jinxed the Brewers by doing this podcast. So you're welcome. And then, and then I'm just like texting and being like, dude, you, you guys are insufferable. Like your fans don't understand baseball. <laughs> and like, uh, so this is, this rivalry has uh, already like grabbed me by the scruff of the neck. And it's like, you are going to care about this and you're going to hate a team you found inoffensive all your life. So this is, it, it is a positive thing from that standpoint for me. 
there's no better way, no quicker way for you to endear yourself to Brewers fans than just the last 45 seconds of what you just said. You just, everyone's on board. No more questions. Andrew hates the Cubs. He hates Cubs fans. It's, you're now fully welcomed in. Open arms. You're, you're very much part of the Milwaukee sports firmament now. Yeah. And you can attest that during these games, I was like, it was affecting my weekend. Um, and that'll transition, sure. that'll transition us into, the rest of the weekend when we can talk about some things that were really positive and, and exciting because uh, the Brewers got their first win of the season yesterday, Adam. They sure did. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment 
and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Game two, or game three, sorry, of the series. Game three. Uh, yeah. a, lot, a lot more positive. Freddie Peralta uh, got the start on the mound. And just like Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, he had an uncharacteristically uh, walky day. Uh, he he had four walks, ended up throwing, ended up kind of working his way out of trouble. Four innings pitch, three hits, three runs, all earned, four walks, six strikeouts. He I, One thing that I, I love about Freddie Peralta, I have a dog named Freddie uh, who was named after a player named Freddie that is not Freddie Peralta, but I'm glad that he's on this team. So it kind of, when I look at my dog, works, I'm, I'm like, yeah. yeah, go Brewers. Um, Freddie Peralta has so much passion out there on the mound. Like he's striking guys out and he's fired up beating his chest it's game three in april i love that so much freddie peralta is so like i i i get did a soliloquy on my love for willie adamas you can add freddie peralta to the guys that i will uh go to battle for on this podcast as we get through the season I, i really love the energy he brought to a game that is never a must win in April for baseball, but like from a psychological perspective, it was like, please Brewers win this baseball game. You don't, it was was an important game. Yeah. You don't want to get swept by the Cubs to open your season. Um, And, you know, he could have easily let that game get away from him, but he didn't. And, you know, it it ended up meaning like all the world. Um, Like I said, that was a, this was a situation where, the game could have got away from the Cubs. First inning, uh, the issues with the walks, and then Saya Suzuki hits a three-run home run to give the Cubs a three-nothing lead in the first inning. And I will say, uh, Saya Suzuki seems like a fantastic player. He was signed out of Japan uh, this season, so he's a guy that <laughs> I think the Brewers fans need to worry about <laughs> moving forward because he's just like, I don't know, he – he was probably the Cubs best player on the weekend. Uh, that might be uh, maybe Ian Happ who had some good moments and hit the, a double. Um, maybe Nico. Horn, uh, I think Suzuki was definitely the, the player of the weekend for the Cubs. I, I think by a long shot too. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for, for me on, for me on Freddie, right. I, I think we should separate him from what we saw from Burns and Woodruff because this was not as far away from what I would have expected from him. He didn't have as kind of off the wall a game as those guys had. He had two walks in the first and unfortunately one pitch, which is just there hanging a little bit too much that gets hit out and that's your three runs, you know, and that's the fact that there's only one run given up beyond um, beyond that for the rest of the game um, and that was not on yeah, Freddie was out of the game by then. So they're the the only runs that he allowed, and they came from walks on, I believe, is the first two guys he saw, which is kind of in line again with just okay, this is the start of the season and there's some stuff to work through. He just didn't get the fortune that maybe Corbin Burns got. Like he he got punished to the nth degree for those two walks and one slightly loose pitch. I wanna and, but he he, he really, as you, to your point, he battled true, like, and even in some more tough situations that arose, he managed to close them out. And yeah, he got to go off celebrating and beating his chest. And I, I thought on the whole, I was very encouraged, even if it did take him a bit of time to get his control as well. Um, 
I, I think it was different. It was a much better performance from him than we had seen from the other two kind of star pitchers. I want to touch on that a little bit just because of how I think the rainout affected the rest of the series. Uh, pitching in particular with baseball is so much about routine, and there's a lot of nuance nuances to those routines. So on, you know, after start, the next day you do one thing. Uh, the day after that you do another, and you change your throwing program up depending on when you're going to have to go like max effort, like I'm throwing six innings of baseball today. And so by virtue of the rain out, Woodruff gets pushed today, Freddie gets pushed today, and that routine gets upset. And I think the only starting pitcher who didn't show the effects of that was Justin Steele. Although despite his really solid performance, five shutout innings, I think he had like six or seven strikeouts uh, for the Cubs. I, I don't think he was necessarily executing his pitches all that well. I think it was just by you know, the fourth inning, the game was, you know, over and Brewers hitters were kind of pressing and just like trying to get themselves back into the game with one swing and just swinging through some pitches that weren't necessarily executed uh, well. So I think a lot of, you know, the performance issues for Woodruff and Peralta, who we said did bounce back nicely, were part of that routine getting upset. I mean, Marcus Stroman, uh, five innings pitched and, and he also had three walks. So it, it's interesting that, um, you know, just early season bumps in the road, and a lot of that has to do with the routine getting upset. Um, not something that can't be overcome, but for it to happen in the first series of the season, I think it's not insignificant. Yeah, and I mean, if we want to we want to go through the bullpen, the bullpen largely, I think with one exception, um, saved our, you know, the Brewers, the best pitching team in the league, take saved us some of the heat we were getting on Twitter for the, the social video we had shared of that conversation from our, our season preview. Can we unpack that um, a little further and just, it's objectively <laughs> hilarious that it happened, but I hated it while it was happening. Oh, sure. And it's also, I mean, I've no, I've no interest in entertaining any pushback from it because it's like, we're talking about two games. Like it's, this is, this is a long, 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 long season, and it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It's not going to have any bearing. No one's going to remember those games unless this season is very much off the rails for any of those guys, which I would still be very much in a place of not expecting that to be. I'm sure um, Brendan Rudder is going to get the, the home opener now, and I'm sure he'll bounce back. I'm sure hopefully no disruptions in terms of weather going to Baltimore. More on that later, though. And um, he can get in a kind of a more steady routine, get to feel kind of a little bit more comfortable, and then also be back at his home stadium where all of that should should work out nicely for him. Um, but in terms of the bullpen, Brent Suter, I thought, was pretty, pretty good, pretty under control, did give up a run. Um, but again, in comparison to some of what we've seen so far, very, very steady at a point where um, Freddie only goes four innings. So you're looking at a lot of game left. And Brent Suter came in right around the time where maybe that was the inning that Willie Adamas got his homer, I think, if I remember correctly. So so just as the Brewers started to show some signs of life offensively, it's then crucial to not just do anything silly that's going to really make it more difficult for them and kill any kind of impetus going there. You already mentioned Jake Cousins, and Jake Cousins had a tough, tough time in the the season opener. 
this was this was worse. <laughs> um, very very wild pitch. The definition of a wild pitch, but you know, we're able to move on pretty quickly. It was not ultimately something that um, factored into the outcome of the game, but not encouraging in terms of just for when we're going to see him next and what his confidence is like at this point in the season. Um, really, really tough start for him. And then it gets into what I, I guess and my consensus most people seem to feel, and I know I certainly feel that way, is the most reliable kind of group of relievers that the Brewers have. And it's the situation where you're in a game like this and then you f- suddenly find yourself in a lead to be able to go to Boxberger in the seven, Devin Williams in the eight, and then Josh Hader to close it out that's reflective of that conversation we were having before, where it's a luxury that other teams around the league are not going to have. And those three guys were just immensely impressive and dialed in like exactly what you would have wanted to see from them just doing their job. So that was very, very encouraging. And I'm sure we'll get into some more specifics on that, but I, I actually think overall, like this was, this was a pretty strong pitching performance. If you take, like the first three at bats, the first four. I can't remember when when that homer went into running three runs. This was a very very complete game from the Brewers pitching staff. Absolutely, and to reference what Adam had mentioned before, is Blue Wire uh, put together a wonderful set of videos with us talking about the pitching uh, being uh, the dominant force this season, and that happened to post, uh, you know coinciding with some of the the struggles on on the mound minutes minutes before brandon woodruff took the plate i feel like and we heard about it took to the mound random strangers on twitter um and i you know i think in in my old age i'm becoming much more responsible i did not respond to any of them so um (laughs) from an offensive perspective some nice moments from the brewers like you mentioned after going down three nothing in the first inning um it could have the game could have got away from them. Willie Adamas hits a solo homer in the third to give them some life. And then the sixth inning is really where, where things got fun. Adamas got on base via a walk. Christian Yelich double scores him. And then eventually Rowdy Tellez hits a two-run home run uh, into the, the Wrigley Field afternoon to give the Brewers a 4-3 lead at the time. The Cubs would answer in the bottom of the sixth, tying the game up. And then Adam... The, the line from Moneyball, how can you not be romantic about baseball? In the seventh inning, uh, a guy by the name of Mike Brasso, who grew up 30 miles from Wrigley Field in Munster, Indiana. Um, I think I saw the report from Adam McCalvey that he had gone to, you know, 30 to 40 Cubs games in his life. Uh, grew up a Cubs fan. Cubs fan, yeah. Mike Brasso stands at the plate and hits a go-ahead home run at uh, – to give the Brewers a 5-4 lead that would eventually become a 5-4 win after, as the aforementioned Brad Boxberger, Devin Williams, and Josh Hader closed the game down. I mean, that's just one of the cool things that happened in sports, and particularly baseball, is a guy who is going to be a bench bat this year, who will get the occasional start, comes in, pinch hits. Uh, I don't know if that was Winnie. Yeah, that was Winnie pinch hit, right? It was. He, got, he got in a bat later in the game, but he pinch hits and just – it's what will become a game-winning home run. And, like, it's you can script it because anything can be scripted, but it's just, I don't know, it's just one of the cool moments about baseball, and it was nice to see Brasso get that moment. He had a moment in the playoffs uh, in 2020 when he hit the home run off of Aroldis Chapman, but uh, I imagine this will rank as a, a close second in career moments for Brasso at this point. 
could there be a better way to get your first home run for the Brewers? Like given given his background, given the rivalry between the teams, given how the Brewers had struggled over the first two games. Really, really big moment. And yeah, good decision. I, I'll admit, just before he hit the homer and his his stats came up on the screen, I was like, did he really need to, to bring to bring Brossom into pinch hit here? Is this the answer? Is this the solution? And then, of course, yes, it was the solution. So I was very, very happy to see that. I have a I have a question, which maybe will bring us into Yelich, because uh, he he had a great, great drive down into that left corner um, that allowed Willie Adamas to get home for uh, the second of his runs on the day. The ivy in the corner at Wrigley is that is that a factor everywhere? Do our other because there was there was once when Yelich was fielding and one got out there and he he actually had to kind of take the ball from the ivy where it gets tangled in it and adds a little bit of time. I was like, hmm, this is this is some kind of games going on that I didn't realize was a factor in home park advantage. So, am I going to find over the course of the season that there are other stadiums where there are little tricks like this at play or is this something that's unique to Wrigley Field? Uh, in terms of the Ivy, yeah, definitely unique to Wrigley. I'm trying to think if there are any other kind of weird nuances for some stadiums. I mean, you have also in Wrigley or I don't I don't know if they're there anymore. I think they might have been moved. Uh, the, there are some instances like in Oakland where the, the bullpen is in foul territory. Um, I think they moved them for Wrigley. I was not paying attention when people were warming up, but they used to be on the uh, on the, the foul territory as well in Wrigley. But I, I think they might have been moved. I'm, you know, I should I should do my NL Central research. Former NL Central. I think the bullpen was the bullpen was foul, right? Okay, okay, it, it must be like on the sideline, like for lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. they're still there. Then. Yeah. Uh, so that's a nuance. It's like that in Oakland. Uh, former NL Central opponent, now in the AL West, Houston Astros used to have a literal, a literal hill in center field, like right in front of the wall, like there would be an incline. But in terms of Ivy, it's it's going to just be Wrigley. Like if the ball gets stuck in the Ivy, uh, the fielders would just like raise their hands and it would be a ground roll double. Um, so they wouldn't have to necessarily okay. dig it out of the Ivy. But yeah, it is a... Uh, it is one of the interesting, interesting little nuances of baseball. Like on an NBA court, everything's, you know, the same, the same. Yeah, yeah exactly. With, I, I know uh, things like soccer, it, it, there can be variations in the pitch size. So baseball is like that to an extreme degree. I mean, you, you go to Fenway, you see the, the green monster, that sort of situation. Uh, here in Durham, we have the blue monster, a uh, similar situation to, to Venway. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, the first series against, was against the Cubs. So you got to see uh, one of the more specific examples of, of home field advantage. Yeah, it cut me out a little bit. I mean, do you have anything else on on uh, Yali? Obviously, we we spoke about there, there would be lots of different things we were looking out for. It had not looked good on opening day, and we touched on that in our last episode. Um, I don't know if it's fair to judge him or anyone offensively for for game two because, as we said, they're just so behind the eight ball that I, I don't think anyone was necessarily in the best headspace. But a couple of hits, it's home for a run, has a walk, really the patience we talked about, that was always a strength of his. And we said, well, maybe at times it's going to be a weakness now. It was certainly a strength on Sunday. Yeah, and I think this game and this series – is indicative of maybe how he can be 
a significantly above average hitter, even if the power isn't there. Because for him to be MVP level, Yelich needs to be pulling the ball in the air and driving the ball for doubles and, and home runs. And, you know, we didn't see any of that. But what we did see was three walks, three hits, and hitting the ball to all fields. He hit that double the opposite way to left field. Um, if Christian Yelich 2.0 is a player that draws a lot of walks and, you know, gets extra base hits to the, the opposite field gap or down the line or he's hitting the ball to all fields and it's just uh, kind of an all-around hitter, even if that power's not there, he's still going to have a positive impact on this team. And that's what it looked like in this series. And I'm not ready to write off any kind of power numbers right now. Like I said, small sample size, <laughs> um, as I'll say for a month. But if, if he can be consistently how he looks in this series, that is certainly an improvement on what he's done the past couple of years. Absolutely. Especially in it, like, like we said, you know, in the playoffs last year, it was like, can the Brewers get the hit when they need it? Higgy was a person that provided one of those hits when they needed it, driving in Willie Adams after the walk to, to, cut the the lead to three two and then you know that eventually led to the rowdy home run so i think you know we'll we'll see what happens but a lot of positive signs from yelich um obviously willie thomas had a great series rowdy had a great series so despite the uh the negative taste that might have been in fans mouth after the nine nothing loss i think they're are signs for optimism heading into the baltimore series and one of those signs is Christian Yelich, you know, looks like he's figuring out how to be whatever he is in 2022. On the on the batting generally, before Willie Adams Homer, I I can't think of any Brewer hitting it into the outfield across the first two and a bit games. Any general concerns on that, given that is the biggest concern we have um for for the season like the the cubs got to do a lot of easy work which is kind of ground balls quick doubles very frustrating and costly doubles anytime the brewers would get on base like is that something that can just we can just chalk down to rhythm and hope that that picks up as it goes on or should we be just monitoring that from the jump, considering that was a problem in the playoffs and it kind of projects with the team to be something of a concern overall outside of two, three, four guys that you kind of reliably will say, yeah, well, Willie Adamas will come up with a home every night and Rowdy Tellez will. Um, Hunter Renfro is certainly someone who has power when when he will connect, but we haven't seen much of that yet, even though much, much better patience for him. And was he walked twice? Yeah, he was walked twice yesterday. Um, but what are your thoughts just in general? Obviously, we haven't seen any kind of barrage of runs, which is not entirely unexpected, but on on what the Brewers have shown so far. I'm not too ter- <clears throat> excuse me, terribly concerned just yet. I mean, we've, we've got uh, three games. You had a 5-4 loss that they were in on, uh, and then you've got 9 nothing. throw that in the the garbage can. I don't want to take away anything with that. And then you got a five, four win uh, early in the game. I think part of that was just Marcus Stroman was doing what Marcus Stroman does when he's locked in. And then he eventually got a little more inconsistent with his spots. He, he's a sinker ball pitcher. So he's going to rack up a lot of ground balls and he was just hitting his spots and, and inducing that contact on the ground. And that's what he's set out to do. Um, 
I, if so, I would, I would look at this Baltimore series, um, as something to see, like, can the Brewers like find a rhythm because Baltimore is not very good. Uh, they are the only team yet to win a baseball game this year. They got swept by the Tampa Bay Rays uh, this weekend. Who are a good team, so there's you know no shame in that. But um, I, I'll I'll start forming some opinions about the offense as a whole as we as we get through the Baltimore series and the home opener. Um, I think there's just like there's a lot of uh, worrying trends that ca- can be boiled down to just the weirdness of an opening series. And, and enough positive trends that you can talk yourself into projecting that out over the long term and finding success. Um, but yeah, ask me, ask me in two weeks because we'll know a little bit more. Um, and I think today or yesterday was really just, you know, Stroman's sinker is sinking and he's, he's locked in. And then that kind of fell apart and they went from there. And I think when Jesse Chavez came into the game, uh, that gave the Brewers the opportunity to pounce and it, it, it really, and that's one of the, the bad things for, especially the Cubs in this situation about the, uh, the shortened spring training is you know, maybe roll Stroman out there for the sixth inning and in, in a normal circumstance and the Brewers continue to, to struggle to hit the ball in the air, but, Oh, we, we need to preserve arms. We need to go to the bullpen early. And then Rowdy Telez welcomes Jesse Chavez to the game with a two run homer. Uh, and last thing before looking ahead, and we have a few mailbag questions we'll take as well. Obviously, this will get more fluid as schedules mix and match, and there'll be postponements here and there. But is this the kind of game, and maybe into the first couple of Orioles games as well, where it's, are you expecting more wins in these kind of games? Where, for example you could be on a third or fourth pitcher for the opponent and the Brewers are in a much stronger spot with having Freddie Peralta as their third guy or then getting into obviously Adrian Hauser and Eric Lauer. Is that something where as much as we're going to put a lot of the attention on, I guess, the top two guys in Burns and Woodruff, is it going to really be that some of their best opportunities to rack up wins are going to come in these games where they are going to have greater depth? They have they have better options at their disposal. And when some of these teams get to their third, fourth, fifth pitchers, they're just not going to be in a position to compete with the Brewers and their options. I think the model for the Brewers winning games this season is them winning a lot of like five, two games, to be honest with you. Like you get six to seven innings out of Peralta, Burns, um, Woodruff, Hauser, Lauer, and then you go Ashby or Boxberger, Williams, Hayter, some kind of combination. Um, and I, I still think Jake Cousins is going to figure it out eventually. And Trevor Gott has looked, you know, much better than his previous career numbers would indicate. Brent Suter, who I said can come in and do a job, did a job yesterday. And um, I really think it's with the Brewers. Aaron Ashby also in a pretty tough spot. That was the opener, I believe, wasn't it? He looked good too. And obviously there's, there is going to be some starts at some point in the year for him too. And it's, it's a situation where I think it's the way we would phrase it is the Brewers can shorten games because you go from an elite starting pitcher to a devastating bullpen. And what, like when you can say a situation where Corbin Burns goes seven innings and then you hand the ball to Devin Williams, like good luck, pal. Like, I I don't know. Like Uh, he hands it to Josh Hader to close. Like that's, we probably didn't talk about that enough. Uh, Those, those two guys in particular, I mean, 
they were bringing their best stuff for their first first appearances of the season as much as we talked to some other guys maybe settling in those two guys were just ready with their best right away oh absolutely i mean devin williams change up might it is the pitch in baseball that i most want to just like stand in the box against just to see what it looks like because it looks like it defies the laws of physics like i don't understand he comes out he's throwing 96 up in the zone that guys cannot get a handle on and then he comes in with that devastating changeup that breaks away from lefties and into righties. I don't know what you do with it. Um, and then haters just like dotting 99 on the corner. Like Unbelievable. they, they looked incredible. Like all, all the, the things we said about the Brewers bullpen being on par with some of the best in the league. A lot of it comes down to just like how absolutely filthy those guys are. And I mean, Matt, the Braves beat the Brewers in a National League Division Series, go on to win a World Series. The, you know, butterfly effect situation is what if Devin Williams is in that bullpen too? Like, how does that change mm-hmm. the calculus there? And he's going to be here this season. Um, and he, well, we hope. I, I hope he's learned his lesson. I, tr- I trust in Devin. I think he's, he's going to be good to go. And, uh, like, he, lo- he, he looks like, all in he threw 10 pitches nine strikes like first of all a 10 pitch inning like he's just mowing them down and then nine strikes he he was not here for any nonsense like he was just ready to i'm clean inning hand the ball to josh we're winning this baseball game and so that was definitely comforting to see and something i think we're gonna see a lot of i mean you get in, in a situation where you say the situations were reversed today and the Cubs go down three, nothing early to the Brewers. I think it's very easy psychologically as a player in that opposing dugout to be like, well, you know, we're facing Burns today. We're down three, nothing. Uh, even if, even if we knock him out in the sixth, we've just got, you know, maybe we can get the box burger, box burger in the seventh, but after that we're done. Like, I, I think just, from a psychological perspective, just like the absolute nastiness of this bullpen can, can do a lot for the Brewers as well. I I think the box is really, really solid. Like that's, that's the thing too. And it's also the transition of that. I mean, we're going to be as locked in as possible and watching pretty much every game this season. Um, For, for anyone who's listening is maybe going to dip a toe here or there. Like, I, I think that's something certainly I'd be looking out for, which is close game. Maybe Brewers have a lead if you get to the seventh inning and Boxberg is coming in and you're expecting Devin Williams and Josh Hader next, like that's, that's most watch. That's most watch. If you're just going to be like, I'm going to pick my spots. I can't watch all these games, but I want to see some kind of key innings. I, I don't think there's much better. You're going to get to see out of the Brewers this year than close games when they get into that kind of that section of their, their bullpen, which is not just really reliable, but particularly when you get to Williams and Hayter are just throwing some of the most mind-melting pitches you're going to see. Moving on, Adam, before we get to a few mailbag questions, we'll kind of uh, set the scene for the rest of the week. First of all, the rest of the NL Central uh, looks like this. So obviously the Cubs are 2-1 and one after taking 2-3 of three from Milwaukee. Uh, the Cardinals took 2-3 of three from the Pirates. They're 2-1. and one. The Pirates are 1-2. and two. And Cincinnati uh, split a four-game se- series with the uh, – defending world champion Atlanta Braves in a bit of a surprise. So they're two and two on the year. Uh, a lot of baseball left to be played and baseball will be played today in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. 
Uh, the one and two Brewers will take on the 0 and 3 Orioles. Adrian Hauser on the mound for the Brewers, taking on Bruce Zimmerman. Hauser looked great in his last start of the spring, so we'll see if he can carry that over to this game. The forecast looks good, Adam. The uh, <laughs> the uh, temperature is rising. I think it's going to be around 61 by game time at 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, and uh, no rain in the forecast. Sweltering compared to what they've, they've just come from. Oh, yeah. It's going to it's gonna feel like uh, a vacation. Uh, tomorrow, 7.05 Eastern, uh, Eric Lauer takes on TBD. I don't know much about TBD. I don't know what's in his arsenal. We'll see what we'll see what happens there. And then they will wrap up the series on Thursday. Corbin Burns takes on yet again TBD for the Baltimore Orioles. Um, I think this is a series where they can uh, right the ship a little bit. And I, I, I I'm seeing on ESPN now this may move up and they may imagine another way, but I'm seeing John Means scheduled. Th- that would track uh, based on uh, kind of. When he last pitched, uh, MLB app do better. Uh, get John means like I I have an icon of an empty baseball player like it was during the during the lockout and it says TBD. Uh, put some. Res- I'm I'm also on TBD for Wednesday though, or for Tuesday I should say. Um, so I I can't help you on that one. But John means is who's currently penciled in. It seems to go up against Corbin Corbin Burns. And then we we might talk before then or after then. And then the home opener is Thursday. Miles Nicholas against what we presume to be Brandon Woodruff. Um, the baseball season keeps rolling on, and you know I'm excited to watch. Uh, my workday ends at three today. Says me, uh, mm. Adam. Shall we get to a mailbag quickly before we get out of here? Yeah, let's let's go through a few questions once again. Thanks to those of you who sent us in questions and who are tuning in, listening, subscribing, following. Um, we've got a really nice rep- response and starting it up, so that's greatly appreciated. And keep it up and keep spreading the word. Help us to to get to as many Brewers fans as possible. First up, from a cowboy of space, which of the three aces had the most concerning outing to you? And who's your Brewers MVP three games in? Uh, uh, to me, Woodruff is pretty clear in the most concerning outing, although I don't like using concern as as the term, but just in terms of the worst outing of the three, uh, for me, I think it's it's pretty clearly Brandon Woodruff. Are you in agreement with that? Or? Yeah, and I will also say that I'm not concerned, uh, as you as you stated. It's just, it, it was just the worst just based on the walks, but and the, obviously the, the earned runs allowed. But like I said, I think that's, we're going to get to the end of the season and we're going to say, Hey, Brandon Woodruff's worst performance was his first start of the season and mm-hmm. everything else looks like it should have. And, and I think that'll be the case for Woodruff. Um, in terms of the MVP. Uh, I feel like we're going to be in agreement here. Uh, I'd be surprised if not. I mean, there, well, well, there are two ways you can go with this. Okay. Let me hear the argument. I'm, I'm going rowdy with, with Willie Adamas as a close mm. second. Because Rowdy's home run like changed the course of that game. Adamas is a close, uh, and also uh, as was noted on the broadcast, they spent the whole game being like, "With the wind that was there, I don't think you can hit out right. I, I just don't think it's possible." And Rowdy was just like, "Oh, I'm I'm hitting it out right," which was pretty good. Ya- Jan Gomes figured that out in the ninth. He had a I think a deep fly ball off of Josh Hader, and he was like. He's like, that went no, like, you could just see his face on the way back to the dugout. Yeah. He was like, I, that did not go where I thought it was going to go when I made that contact, which makes the 
uh, rowdy homer that much more impressive. The reason why I have Adamas as the close second is he also made an outstanding play in the field uh, that went to a video review. Of course, Rowdy was at the other end of that on first base. So the, the Rowdy, he was. the Rowdy Adamas just like combination tandem yeah, from this yeah, podcast uh... love. Like, uh, well, well, it's funny. You you voted for my favorite, and I, I'm going to vote for yours. I I think I give it to Willie Adamas, but maybe maybe we should by committee just you know combine there and be like the joint MVPs or Willie Adamas and Rowdy Tellez between for the first three games. I think I think that's kind of fair. Like it's. It's a fair reflection. Both those guys have been standouts. Some one shaky moment in particular for Rowdy from the opener um, that just makes me give it to Willie Adamez. But hey, I'm all for anyone giving Rowdy props. So I'm not opposed. From a pet liker, is Suzuki the best hitter in baseball? <laughs> um, We may find out that he is. I don't know. He looks good is all I could say. He does look good. Uh, I'm going, my basic rule on saying who the best hitter in baseball is, is every season I'm going into it saying that it's going to be Mike Trout until he gets hurt. So I will not give it to Suzuki just yet, but he is incredibly impressive. And I think uh, he's going to be someone the Brewers fans have to worry about for at, at least the next few years. Again, from a pet liker. Who is the sexiest brewer? And you know, this is a serious question. Oh, and I'm going to take it as seriously as it was asked. Um, who? <laughs> Hold on. We're gonna we're gonna hear my wheels turning on this podcast. My computer is loading slowly. I am looking for the roster. I was, I just, I was gonna go. What's the top process? You just want to look at everyone's face? Is that? No, I just need to see the names, and then uh, they'll pop into my face. Um. I'll answer while you're waiting. It's Rowdy Tell us. Come on. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon. It's, it's Rowdy Tell us. The energy has to factor into this. He's He's got energy. Uh, he does. You know, I'm I'm going to say I'm going to say they're a sexy team in general as well. Okay. Like like deal with it MLB. Wow. Again for a pet liker. A big point of contention last year was locking Williams and Hayter into the 8 ninth instead of using them the highest leverage moments throughout the game. Seems like this isn't going to change, but how helpful would it be to establish a role for a guy who can clean up dirty innings such that the non-box D-Will Hayter arms can generally work with clean innings? Um, I think it, it, this is a, a conversation that is endless in baseball uh, between old-school baseball uh minded people will say lock guys into their role like we talked about how important routine is um this guy throws the seventh this guy throws the eighth this guy throws the ninth but as we see when it gets to the playoffs that all goes out the window and you pitch your best guys in the highest leverage situations i would tend to lean more into into that line of thinking and to answer his question about if Williams and Hayter are going to be locked in those roles. I think a guy that could potentially be the multi-inning kind of swing arm uh, could be Aaron Ashby, unless he finds himself in the rotation. We saw a little bit of that on the opener. And it looks like Council also tried to make Jake Cousins that guy. Uh, And I don't think it's out of the question that he can figure it out. I mean, the thing that makes him so devastating is also what makes 
a lot of Arians' performance is like his slider moves so much. And if if the uh I move like five feet past or whatever I guess if <laughs> if the machine isn't calibrated where it needs to go, you know, the results look like what they look like on Sunday. But I think I think Ashby can can be that Swiss Army knife in the bullpen. Eventually, I think the long term prognosis, maybe next year, maybe the end of this year, depending on injuries, is for Ashby to be slotted into the middle of that rotation. But for now, I think he can be a really valuable weapon in, in a multi inning bullpen role, and you know, potentially a guy in Nashville right now, Ethan Small, who I mentioned, could also fit that bill. I'm at Keegan J Ford one. Do you guys think the MLB will continue checking for gunk on the balls? They did it at the start of last year, and spin rate went drastically down. They basically stopped in the second half, and lo and behold, it shot right back up. Was that just lip service by the league? Uh, they appeared to be doing those checks throughout this weekend. You know, you, you get uh, to the end of the inning, a pitcher walks to the uh, the uh, foul line, the umpire comes over, and they kind of just do like the the full body uh, cavity search. Uh, I think it'll keep happening, but if it stops. Uh, we will not hear an explanation because baseball likes to do things like changing the baseballs and implementing rules without really telling anyone. Now, last year they did give the pitch. This is this is an all league thing though, where you have initiatives or focuses at the start of the year, and as the year goes on, you just you lift off of it a little bit. You don't really say anything about it. Like everyone knows. Like you go take the NBA as an example. They always have new points of emphasis every year that will be very strongly overly rigorously enforced to begin a season and there's just a general acceptance by you know a couple of months in things will ease off and you're kind of okay to go about your business um this i know this is a longer running thing in baseball and kind of a bigger question but i don't i don't think what you're describing there is even unique to baseball in terms of how leagues generally operate with this kind of stuff yeah, uh, the the issue of them changing the baseball and telling no one is just fresh in my mind. Uh, I, I do want to take an opportunity to say that like Garrett Cole is the softest player in baseball, and he is uh, a product of the the uh, Spider Tack era. He uh, has great stuff. Was mediocre in Pittsburgh. Went to Houston, started cheating, and then got really good. He had a hissy fit on opening day because the ceremony went four minutes over with like Billy Crystal's first pitch and you see him whining in the dugout and then he gets shelled. Um, he, I hope they play the Yankees in the world series and Rowdy Tellez hits four homers and four at bats against Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole's a clown. Um, anyway. Wow. That was a, that was a heated aside there you had ready for us. I appreciate that. Okay, uh, lastly, one from the Discord, from at Seeks in the Discord. Does Devin Williams have the greatest changeup ever? Yes. You, you already, you, you didn't quite go that bold, but you did bring it up of your own volition already and just how, how you marvel at his changeup. So, yeah, I think you could take that at face value that Andrew does, in fact, believe it's the greatest changeup ever. I mean, in a lot of time, in many cases with sports, just like players today can do things that players back in the day couldn't do like just a natural uh, what it what i'm a history guy it's, it's gonna take me some time but i'm gonna catch up and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be fighting these takes we disagree on this uh, listen the game listen, the game moves in different ways yeah, you know if babe ruth, players if babe ruth played in 2022 
he would basically it's a, it's a, be it's a dumb it's a dumb argument it's the game is shaped players can only play the game at their time there's no reason to believe they can't evolve or if they were groomed to play the version of the game that exists okay, now yeah, that they couldn't sure, do it. that's that's sure. that's not how that oh okay this is this is passive aggressive i i agree uh, with I, that I but like if you if you if drop players from that ear sure it's not fair but it doesn't make it any less true one day we'll do a historical uh, uh baseball episode and we'll you know compare you just shouldn't you just shouldn't take guys out of context is my point that's like you've got to you've got to measure everyone within context of what the game is at the time so yeah was was there anyone well, in well, the 30s that threw who had a change up like that like i doubt it no no but that was also not the game they were playing. They didn't have to try to work on throwing a changeup like that. They weren't working on preparing their body like that because the game was completely. Well, they different. were also that's, probably that's like, all. or that's they were probably, probably also like in factory workers on the weekends. That you know, if for sure, exactly. So, and that's that's always a part of that too. Is um, the miles on the clock for players from past generations. And that could be literally miles on like the clock that they punch in work in addition to what they're doing and playing all the games. Look, I think it's a conversation for another day and I will have it. Don't worry. When I, when I get all of my, my catching up done on the entire history of Major League Baseball, um, I will be ready to have the conversation. But just let's not, let's not dunk on guys from the 30s or the 40s because... They were playing a different game. I have no doubt none of them had a change of like Devin Williams. They sure didn't, Adam. All right. Andrew and I are going to have to continue this offline. Until the next time, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us at Brewers GSPN on Twitter. Make sure to do that. So you can send us mailbag questions when we put the call out for them. Um, we'll be doing some tweeting kind of on and off joke games during the season. And we'll also anything, anything else, any other announcements, any other bits of news that are coming up will be there. We should have one announcement very, very soon. It won't be in time for this pod, but our, uh, our artwork for cruising for a bruising, our permanent artwork going forward is in its final stages. Andrew and I have had a sneak peek at it. And it is absolutely glorious. I'm not overstating it. Uh, we had a vision for it, and it has come back better than the vision, so I can't wait to share that with all of you. If you want to make sure you see it when it comes out, at Brewers GSPN, follow us. And, yeah, I hope, if not today, next couple of days, that we'll be able to share that with all of you. Um, and also, go subscribe to the GSPN Substack, gspn.substack.com. We'll post all of our pods there with short write-ups. Additionally, the Win in Six podcast, the Eurostep podcast, and any GSPN crossover stuff. So if you want your books, your brewers, all in the one place, tons of articles go up there related to the books. Andrew and I will work as the season goes on. And maybe if we've any kind of spare thoughts that don't go up in podcast form, could be some short posts there. They'll go directly to your inbox. So to make sure you never miss an episode of us or any of the books content that comes out through the various GSPN podcasts, go subscribe gspn.substack.com and all of that will land straight in your inbox. That's it for us for now. Thanks again to all of you for listening. I would guess we'll probably be back after the Orioles series before the home opener. So kind of keep an eye out for around then. Until then, thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam.